0: The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 23rd, 2022.
1: The woman in your life will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life She can rest so easily She does everything you do
2: Cause the woman in your life is you. Buddy and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer and co-producer Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Wow, what a beautiful day it is here in Sonoma County, and what a beautiful weekend it was. It really was. A shout-out to everybody that showed up for the protest on uh, Bands Off Our Body. I mean, it was just amazing. Over 150 people showed up, and also a shout-out to the folks in uh, Sebastopol. Uh, to carol singer for all the good work that she's doing and and just thank you all it's just been an amazing you know and we're we're right now we're in an election process so people are starting to get their absentee ballots and very important that we vote you know it's it's so interesting they say we've they've been trying to tell us over the years that our vote don't count well if it didn't count why are they put, trying to put all these restrictions on it's just amazing Well, really a shout out to everybody. Uh, I have a very special guest uh, joining me this morning, joining me on the phone all the way from Ontario, Canada, Boy, we're getting to be a little international here on Women's Spaces, is Carol Kilby, author of the book Evolutionary Dancer. I love that name. We will be discussing various aspects of spirituality and her journey to make sense of it all for herself. It's a very interesting topic, and it was a very, very interesting book. And you know, what What spurred her was, she was part of a, a church, and she'll talk about that, but what what uh, caused her to write this book and to go on this journey was her awareness of the climate crisis that's happening all across the globe, and that she felt that the religious uh, groups were uh, were not addressing it the way they should. And as stewards of the earth, it's very important that we do address it. So I'm really looking forward to her interview, and I think she'll make some very, very interesting points you know, particularly around women and how they have to be involved and how important it is that we look at this climate crisis. A special announcement that is really, really interesting that I really do, do not understand, and that is Athena House is closing. Athena House has been a program here in Sonoma County for incarcerated women, and also, it's been a drug rehab uh, organization, which is very, very, very important. And they're closing, and I still cannot figure out why why they're closing. It's really it's really very interesting to me uh, that that this is happening. And if anybody is out there that knows anything about it, if they could please uh, email me at Elaine at Women's Spaces, and dot com and let me know if they have any history or any information. I've been trying to call the um I've been calling, trying to get a hold of the director and trying to find out what is the story, why would they be why would they be closing? <laughs> why would they be closing Athena House? Anyway, our history is our strength, and Athena House has a large, large history here in Sonoma County. In fact, I was one of the, the first uh, first group of staff that actually staffed Athena House and we brought many, many women in lieu of incarceration and saw many, many successes. And you know, Athena is the goddess of love and war, and it's very interesting. She holds an owl. Uh, on the side of her of her uh, arm and what happened was one day I had a client that I was working with there and I could not I just could not get through to her I just could not get through to her at, at all and so what happened was is what I did was is I decided I would take her outside and we would sit on the patio we had a patio at the at the place that we were that we were there and uh try to sit her down at the patio and we're sitting there and all of a sudden we hear hoot hoot, 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 and we look, and there it was. It was an owl, and we looked at each other, and we couldn't believe it because Athena always held that owl, and it was very, very interesting because at that point, this woman and I really had a breakthrough. We had an amazing breakthrough, and I was able to work with her, and we were able to do many, many wonderful things together. So I I really, really appreciated the program and really appreciated the successes. Well, you know, one of the things that's happening right now is people are protesting across the globe on this whole idea about this leaked, this leak thing from the Supreme Court on uh, on abortion. Well, you know, they're they're talking a lot about abortion. They're talking a lot about, you know, uh, trying to deny birth control to people. Oh my god, to women. I mean, they really want to take away the they really want to take of the control of our own lives away, you know. I, it almost looks like they want to put us back into the to the 50s when, you know, I mean, women had eight and 10 children. I mean, it's 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 just we're, we're We're in a different mode. But a lot of interesting quotes have been coming across on Facebook, and this is one that I really thought was really outstanding. If it was about babies, we'd have excellent and free universal maternal care. You wouldn't be charged a cent to give birth, no matter how complicated your delivery was. If it was about babies, we'd have months and months of parental leave for everyone. If it was about babies, we'd have free lactation consultants. In other words, free consultants were right now we're in the middle of a, a baby formula. Uh Uh, There's no baby formula on the shelves. I went into Safeway the other day, and I noticed that they have the baby formula locked up. It just blew me away. So no matter, you know, they should have lactation consultants showing women how to breastfeed. When When I was, my daughter was born, we had to sterilize bottles, and we made our own formulas. You know, and from what I understand, some of these formulas are not that safe. Well, anyway, they would also have free diapers, free formulas. If it was about babies, we'd have free and excellent childcare from newborns on. If it was about babies, we'd have universal preschool and pre-kindergarten and guaranteed after-school placements. And you know, if it were about babies, we would be thinking about them when they became adults and had to go to the university. We'd have free college for all of our people that are born on this earth. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. And and what's also what's also is interesting. As sane as this may sound, you can passionately have pro-choice and not be pro-abortion. And I say this all the time. I am not for abortion. I am not against abortion. And I've never met a woman who said, "Hey, I'm going to go have an abortion. I'm all excited." Most of them are crying and nervous and and can't even hardly make the decision. You know, you can be outraged seeing toddlers, you know, ripped from their parents and put in cages and not be open to borders. You know what I'm saying? There's all kinds of different ways that we can look at things. And you can demand common sense gun laws and not be against the Second Amendment. You know, we are experienced, uh, you know, I think we're having a pandemic of ignorance, you know, that we don't understand all these things, you know, that we're jumping to conclusions that we should not jump to conclusions. And I am very serious. If it were about babies, we would have universal health care for everybody. You know, the United States has one of the highest rates of infant mortality. I mean, come on, you know, think about it. When you start thinking about it, I mean, it's really not about abortion. It's about control, you know, women have gotten too much power over the past 50 years. Ever since we got the right to choose for our own bodies, and I really believe on some levels that Caucasians or white people are afraid that if we have abortion, that their numbers going to be limited. I mean, there's all this thing about that they're afraid that we're going to be changing people, like throwing whites out to so people of color. I mean, all these different gossips or different ideas that are being planted in our head are not true. It's all about control, about controlling women, silencing them. You know, a long time ago, I don't know who it was that wrote that women should be silenced in the church, that we shouldn't even hear from women. I mean, here we are, the ones who carry the mystery of life in our bodies. We are the ones that bring forward, you know, all those cute little babies. You know, all you folks running around, you all came from a woman, a woman, not a woman, a woman. So it's really interesting, all the different things that are going on and all the different conversations people are having. But the most important thing is choice. We have a right to have choice over our bodies. You know, we give birth to children. We, You know, a, to be a parent is a lifetime commitment. It's not just the first 18 years of your life and they're gone out the door. Uh-uh, my granddaughter is 30 years old, and she just lost her cat, and it became a family situation. She was so heartbroken. I mean, sometimes somebody might say, well, it's just a cat. But you know how animals are. Animals are just as important to us as children. But it's a lifelong commitment to be a parent. So it's very important that as women we have the right to choose. Well, like we do every Monday morning, <laughs> we talk about our history is our strength. Boy, I'll tell you something. Let me tell you something. That idea about the phone number can really got me shook up. You know, I'm trying to take take a. I I have to breathe, you know, we are live, just relax, center myself, be in the here and now, right? That's all that I can do. Well, on May 21st, 1932, 1932, my God, that's almost 100 years ago, Amelia Earhart Putnam became the first woman to complete a solo transatlantic flight flying 2026 miles from Newfoundland to Ireland in just 15 hours in 1932. That was a great, great, great event, particularly a woman getting in a plane and doing that. So May 21st, that's a celebrated, that's something to celebrate. And you know, it's so interesting when you think about flight. You know, to me, the most interesting thing in the world is the fact that human beings invented an airplane. And I remember I went on a, a, an air trip one time, an airplane trip, and I sat next to this engineer, and he was explaining flight to me, and I said, please, it's, it's too complicated. I don't want to hear about it. The most important thing is as long as we're in the air and safe. And yet, here this wonderful, wonderful invention... We turned into such a monster, you know, bombing people. I was watching some of the films what happened in uh, Nazi Germany during, well, not even Nazis, and during World War I. During World War I was the first time that we actually used planes to drop bombs on people. And just to think this wonderful invention that they turned it into such an ugly thing. Well, here's another good thing, okay, on uh, May twenty first, 1973, and this was really a big deal. Lynn uh, Gersenko a swimmer, receives the first athletic uh, scholarship awarded to a woman for the University of Miami. Women did not get sports scholarships. They were not allowed to be in sports. I remember when I was at Sonoma State, it was so interesting, a group of women wanted to play, foot. I think it was football, And they weren't allowed. And all of a sudden, there was this great, great letter writing campaign, you know. And they changed, they changed, actually changed Title VI after that so women could play in sports, all sports. Again, choice. I wouldn't play football myself. I loved basketball, but I I wouldn't be a football player. But some women want to play football. It's choice, it's all about choice. That's the most important thing. It's freedom of choice. And we have to understand that. Well, we got some wonderful, wonderful birthdays here. Today is May 23rd, and in 1810, and she made her uh, transition in 1850. Can you imagine women being active in 1810? That's that's amazing. A woman by the name of Margaret Fuller, she was a journalist, a critic, and a woman's right advocate. She was the first full-time American woman book reviewer in journalism. Her book Women in the 19th Century is considered the first major feminist work in the United States. Wow. The woman wrote it in, she was born in 1810. My goodness. And she wrote the first book, Women in the 19th Century, and is considered the first major feminist work in the United States. Well, happy birthday, and thank you for doing that, Margaret Fuller. Then on May 25th, this woman was born in 1889. And she made her transition in 1975. Can you imagine 1889? And her name is Lily Mae Carol Jackson. She was a pioneer civil rights activist, an organizer of the Baltimore branch of the NAACP. She pioneered the tactic of nonviolent resistance. Can you believe this woman born in 1889? Women didn't even have the vote. And black women, where were they then? I mean, they, you think African-American women sometimes feel oppressed now? I mean, just imagine what they felt like in 1889. I mean, for heaven's sakes. But, you know, she was able to do her work, and she was able to write that book, and she was able to do her thing, so to speak, and was able to stand up for the rights of women. And here's another very, very interesting woman that I think. Uh, She was born May 25, 1905, and she made her uh, transition in 1995, and that's Dorothy Wesley. She was a librarian and historian. She was one of the first African-American women to earn a master's degree in in library science from Howard University in 1932. As curator of the Moreland Spring Collection at Howard University, she helped became a world-renowned resource on the history and the culture of African Americans. Dorothy Wesley, born May 25, 1905. Wow. Can you imagine this woman? I mean, here she is, an African American woman standing up, you know, going to Howard University, the first woman to earn a master's degree in library science, the first African-American woman. What a challenge that must have been for her. You know for me whenever I want to challenge something or I want to do something and I get frightened the first thing I think about is Ida B Wells or some of the women like like Dorothy Wesley that they did stand up they did do something they and they went against the odds because thinking 18, by when she was born in 1905 women didn't even have the vote yet. And then our last birthday, which I think is really, really interesting, you know, my favorite person is, uh, is uh, Frances Perkins, who served as the labor board under Franklin Delano Roosevelt. But you don't realize how many other women were involved in labor. This woman was born in 1910, and she made her transition in 1997. You know, Mary Kiesling. She's an economic, an economic an economist, a director of the Women's Bureau of the Labor Department from nineteen sixty-four to nineteen sixty-nine. She was the executive director of the National Consumers League in nineteen thirty eight and personal advisor to Eleanor Roosevelt in the Office of Civilian Defense. Amazing. You know, I'm watching right now, I'm watching the first ladies and, oh, Eleanor Roosevelt, boy, what a woman she was. And, and step out. I mean, this woman took a lot of risk and stood up for what she believed and had to stand behind her husband and become his spokesperson and travel for him because of his limitations because of polio. And here, this woman was Mary Kersling and she was Eleanor Roosevelt. She was one of her personal advisors for civilian defense. Amazing women. We are standing on the shoulders of so many great women. And there are so many great women living today that are doing some marvelous, marvelous things. So a shout out to everybody and a happy birthday to all these women and thank you. These are our ancestors. These are the women that we are, the shoulders that we are standing on and we must never forget that. You know, when I see some of these women and they just cop out, they don't stand up for other women, I say to myself, don't they understand that how they got there was because so many other women stood up and said, enough is enough, we want a place at the table. We want to vote. We want the right to choose over our own body. Boy, I remember when, talk about choice, I remember when we first start marching for abortion. I, had a, I was walking with my little girl I think she was about seven years old at the time or six years old. And my daughter was choice. I chose to have her. I wanted a child, and we planned it, and we had it. And it still didn't work out 100%. I mean, even though you plan it and you try to do everything right. But I'll never forget that day marching with her, and all of a sudden this glass comes flying through the air and crashes right in front of us, and it was a fetus inside a a water bottle or some sort of jar And I remember looking at it and looking at the man that threw it. And I thought to myself, what is going on here? What is happening? You know, if we're so concerned about life, we have to look at all of life. We have to look at the life of the planet. We have to look at the life of our children. We have to look at our own lives. We have to look at our food, our water supplies, our air supplies, our earth, what's going on with climate change. I mean, we have so many challenges now. We don't need any more wars. I mean, it scared me to death when I heard our president say that if if Taiwan went to war with China, that we would defend them. Oh, my God. All that money just burned up into nothing when men need to sit down at the table and start talking to each other and make considerations and understand that we all live on this planet. You know, there's nowhere else we can go. We can't just take off. Oh, the planet's in trouble. I'm going to another planet. Impossible. We're all stuck here, and we have to work it out. Well, that's a lot to think about, but you know that's what Women's Spaces is all about. I always take the first fifteen minutes of the show to just go and just give my opinion, and you know, email me at. I have a new email. I'm going to say it very slowly. It's E L A I N E B H O L T Z at gmail dot com. So that's Elaine B Holtz at gmail dot com write me. Let me know if you if you appreciate what I have to say, or maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you'd like to come on the show, and we can talk about it. You know, maybe you know of somebody that has a guest. Maybe you that could be a good guest, or maybe you know somebody that's having a birthday that you'd like me to say happy birthday to. But keep in touch, you know. It's important that I know that you are enjoying the show and that we are covering topics that are important to you. And if you have any ideas on other topics, please do not hesitate to let me know. Well, it's time to take a musical break. And then we can get on with our guests. The song I'll be playing is one of my all-time favorites. You know, I think sometimes Ken looks at me and says, not again, but actually, he actually said I should play this song. So I really appreciate that this morning, Ken. I'm going to play the song, Light a Candle, sung by Frozen Heart, and pay attention to the lyrics. We are in some interesting times, and when I listen to this song, I feel both inspired and energized. When we return, I will be talking with Carol Kilby, author of the book Evolutionary Dancing. We will be discussing various aspects of spirituality and her journey to make sense of it all for herself. Interesting story, interesting topic, interesting book and also very much concerned about climate change. So let's go ahead, Ken, let's play light a candle. Sung.
3: Cursing in the darkness Light a candle for where we're going Can't Instead of cursing in the darkness Light a candle for where we're going Cause there's something ahead worth looking for When the light of time is on us We will see a moment come And the living soul inside will carry on
2: I just love that song. It's just light a candle in the darkness so others might see ahead. Light a candle in the darkness when you go. I just love that song. For you just joining us, I want to remind my listeners that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, or women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine Beholds. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest, joining me on the phone all the way from Ontario, Canada, Carol Kilby, author of the book Evolutionary Dancer. Hello, Carol. Welcome to Women's Spaces.
0: Thank you, Elaine. I just lit a candle having, uh, as as the song ended, I lit a candle, uh, That it might lead us into the future.
2: Thanks for that song. Oh, and it's just, I know, it just gives me the chills. You know, Neil Young wrote it, and I think it's one of his best. I think it's one of the greatest songs he's ever wrote. So, Carol, before we begin, do you mind if I tell my folks just a little bit about you? (laughs) Well, I don't mind at all. (laughs) Well, Carol Kelby is the author of Evolutionary Dancer, Out, In, and On the Fringe of the Church, she left the pulpit in 2005 to open a Gaia Center for Eco-Spirituality and Sustainable Work. Her response to the, uh, the uh, climate crisis uh, she hosted with, uh, she learned from teachers like Matthew Fox, Brian Swimmer, Barbara Max Hubbard, and others living the new uh, oneness cosmology. Well, how do you mean by oneness cosmology? What, is that? what does that mean, Carol. A cosmology is a fancy word, I suppose,
0: for um, the way we understand the world to work, the worldview in which most of us live. And, um, and it's a oneness cosmology as opposed to what I grew up with, Elaine, which was believing that heaven and earth were separate, that human and the non-human were separate, and so on. So um, a new understanding of living in one Emergent universe that's a fast, amazing communion, all interrelated.
2: Boy, that sounds, that (laughs) that gives me a feeling of kind of safety in a way. Well, as an evolutionary elder, Kirby lives in Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, Kennedy, with a deep understanding of these critical times. Her book dances through the seasons of the Christian year with original cosmic stories and ends with evolutionary rituals, holidays cast in the 14-billion-year story of the universe. She describes her life work as whatever I can do, a right to cooperate with the evolution – let's just turn this page – with the evolution of humanity, society, and Christianity for the sake of a free and future planet and lack of abuse. Would you like to add anything else, Carol? Oh, I, I that's that's a lot. That's as much as I can do today. <laughs> well, you know, I i just found you know Ken Ken read the book and uh, I read a lot a lot of it, but not as as complete as he did. In fact, during the show, if he has a question or two, he's going to raise his hand and I'll let him ask. But uh, uh, the conversations we had were very very interesting. So I thought we would we would start the interview about talk about your first religious training and what impact it had on you and what was it that sparked let you know that you 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 were feeling something was missing, something was not being covered or talked about.
0: Okay. Well, I grew up in small town Ontario in the 50s, um, and Holy Trinity United Church was my second home. You know, it was Explorers on Tuesdays, Junior Choir on Thursdays, Sunday School, Church Camp, New Hats at Easter, but my dad and brother went to St. Mary's Roman Catholic was, even then, it was a pretty unusual living arrangement, um, and then when I was in my early 40s, my mother died, uh, and my marriage failed, and I turned back to what had been that spiritual home, and the faith grew, and that drew me to study for ordained ministry. So the church and its rituals were major influences. I mean, they shaped who and what I was um, as a young adult. But, yeah, I did discover something missing a little bit later on. Um, You know, we were living at the end of the century in the 90s, um, and there were so many shifts happening in society. There certainly was an exodus from the church congregations, and especially Sunday schools were shrinking. And um, a clergy, you know, a clergy could sometimes feel there was more interest in growing the number of bums in the pews than the spirituality of a community. So it felt like something was missing. Now, outside the doors, um, there was a very lively spirituality uh, bubbling up. And, And when I say spirituality... I mean, that sacred interconnectivity of all that is, that's being discovered by science and recovered from the indigenous understandings. So, I mean, I was more excited to offer a summer solstice ritual in the park. um, And I was always fearful after I preached a Sunday sermon, what was gonna happen. So um, I remember one day I had included a prayer to Sophia Uh, And I was called on the carpet, uh, forbidden, in fact, to utter her name in church again. And when I proposed the blessing of the animals in another congregation, I was told I could not, because we can't bless animals. They don't have souls. So here I was, an innovator, you know, without the skills or the patience necessary or even the whole story to point out this new Let's use the word cosmology, this new world view. And so that connection to the non-human world, that's what was missing for me. Let me ask
2: ask you a question real quickly. Who was Sophia?
0: Sophia is um, mentioned in the Bible um, as the feminine image of uh, the divine. So uh, this was um, uh, from the Greek Roman um, influences. Sophia was an understanding of wisdom. Um, She Who Stands at the Gate and Calls, and you can find out in Proverbs, and uh, and this was a, a feminine understanding of the presence of the divine in our existence.
2: I love that Sophia. That's uh, my yeah. Actually, I have a, a niece that we adopted from China and her middle name is Sophia. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, at the time, at the time you were going through all this, you know, you were you were questioning. I know a lot of it had to do with the climate crisis. You start looking at that and thinking that the church maybe was not paying the attention that they should. At that time, who was influencing you? You know what what how are you how are you getting your information? And what was important? Important uh, to you about that how was the women's movement influenced you you know the environmental movement you know and who were the people that came forward or stuck out in your mind
0: oh that was um, um, the 90s you know as we approached the new century um, it was what was called and it's still called today an axial moment in, in the history of the human and so yeah feminism Wow, um, it was the end of the Un- United Nations decade on women. In the church, it was the beginning of the World Council of the Church's decade of solidarity with women. And so I was lucky enough to travel to Kenya and South Africa, around in other places, meeting strong, articulate, educated, global sisters, mm-hmm. and hearing about the issues of a patriarchal religion. Um, patriarchal economy and, and cultures, and so I came home to march to join a feminist movement um, to write and speak for change.
2: Well, let me ask and, you que- let me ask you a question here. I mean, joining a feminist movement. I mean, you were part of a church that really does not does not give women much of a voice. So how how were you able to maintain your voice? Did you have to leave, or what what did you have to do? How how was it that you handled it?
0: Um, well, you see, I was um, part of uh, the United Church of Canada, and they had ordained women um, for um, almost half a century by them. But the difference um, of being uh, women um, preaching, uh, following, um, existing within a patriarchal structure, preaching a um, fairly patriarchal theology... Um, I had to shift away from that. I had to find a new voice. I had to dare to um, speak as a woman of the feminist issues and to find the feminist uh, understandings of the divine um, in history and alive in and through us.
2: Where where did you get where did you get your courage and confidence to move to move through That I mean that I mean to me to me you're you know you've taken a huge a huge step. I know that you know I mean Ken and I have many many discussions about religion, and I am so shocked when I hear how oppressed women were. I mean you know even though I think there were some writings that says that that, you, that women uh, need to be silenced in the church. So where did you where did you get your confidence and how did you, how were you able to stand? up and who was influencing you at the time
0: well um let me talk about um those influences then i would call those influences the people particularly um evolutionaries so first i was while i was still in the church i was part of this christian feminist movement which was not only national but international and uh, Strong uh, writers and scholars like uh, Rosemary Radford Ruther who has just died in the past couple of days, and uh, Christian feminists everywhere are remembering with gratitude. So there's, a, as I said, there was a movement. It was an evolution in feminist consciousness, and I'll talk more about conscious evolution as a movement, if I may. Um, so, um, an example the consciousness that was evolving, and is still evolving, and perhaps is always evolving. We did a marriage of two women in a Sunday service, and we were not fired. Despite the resistance, the inclusion of the gay and lesbian persons in all aspects of our liberal Protestant denomination was approved in 1988. So this is an incredible example of the feminist movement for wholeness um, emerging as a new consciousness and changing the structures.
2: Boy, that is that is a big order when you start thinking about it. I know. Uh-huh. And how how was how were those groups thinking about choice? So they must have supported choice.
0: Yes, there was support for choice as it, uh, as it was explored, you know, and how to, um, and how to legislate it and so on. So it's, it's a complicated issue and I expect we'll get to that later as well. But, um, yes, um, and when you talk about choice, it's an aspect of that evolution of consciousness that has respect for the whole without trying to superimpose control over any one aspect of the whole, whether it's the feminine body or whether it's the um, environment or whether it's the habitat of other the non-humans and so on.
2: Well, that's amazing. It's it's good to hear, you know, that there are aspects of the church that do support church uh, choice. I mean, I can't believe here in, in the in California, uh, I guess it was an archbishop that just told Nancy Pelosi that she can't take communion because she supports abortion, and Nancy Pelosi does not support abortion. She supports choice. And that is a very big difference, you know. I do not support abortion. I'm not for it. I'm not against it. I am for choice. That that woman mm. has a right to choose whether she's going to have that child or not. It's not my, none of my business, actually, to be honest with you. Well, we're going to take we're going to take a musical break right now, and we're going to play a song that I love and I think is really in tune with what you're talking about. You know, it's called "The Rose" and it's sung by Leanne ha- uh, Rhymes. And when we return, I will continue my conversation with Carol and with Carol Curlby, author of the book *Evolutionary Dancer*, and I can't wait, Carol, to see what your definition of an *Evolutionary Dancer* is. So let's go ahead and play the rose.
4: Some say love.
2: becomes the rose well welcome back you're listening to women's spaces and i'm your host elaine b holtz joining me on the phone all the way from ontario canada is carol Kirby welcome back carol welcome back to women's spaces thanks
0: so much elaine i'm i'm glad to be here really glad to be back in anything in a conversation called women's spaces
2: well you know Talk about you know one of the things one of the things that, that I found very interesting in reading your book and, and going over some of the things. it sounds as like you had a real mystical journey here. So why don't you explain what what mysticism is to you and also what what did you find as you were going through all this? What teachers did you find that really had impact on you?
0: Um, we share some of the same teachers. And so, um, uh, as a Protestant, I did not know a lot about the mystics um, who were um, Christian scholars like Hildegard and Eckhart. Um, they were scholars before uh, the split in um, between Protestantism and Catholicism. Um, and so, I was uh, listening to a uh, speak for Matthew Fox one day, um, Father Matthew Fox at the time, he was a Roman Catholic Dominican priest, and um, I came away having made this discovery about the divine feminine in and of the earth that had been hidden from uh, let's say Christian, Christianity uh, since the m- medieval times. It had you know, been locked away, and so rediscovering that. So um, off I went to the University of Creation Spirituality, started by Matthew Fox, to um, rediscover my Christian roots in a very feminist um, Christian scholarship um, offered by men and women. And there, I also came in touch with the new science. Now, you wouldn't think that was very mystical, but they were teaching... Um, a brand new story of creation from science called The Universe Story, written by Thomas Berry and Brian Swim. And uh, my professor was telling us the story of how stars are born, they die, and they're resurrected as stardust, giving birth to new stars, planets, and the very stuff of our bodies, right? And that moment, the flaws of Christianity crumbled and fell away. The whole existence was a sacred sanctuary. So I guess that's the experience. But then I followed that story to one of the teachers of the story, a sister, Miriam Magillus. She's one of the new sisters of the sisters of the Earth. It's a new movement in Catholicism. And, um, and they teach earth literacy as the mission of the church for these times of planetary crisis. And it was there that I realized I needed to step out of the pulpit and into the woods and open a center, not unlike Genesis Farm, a retreat dedicated to spirituality of the earth that we would take
2: away and create sustainable life work. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. let's 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 start talking about your book. You know, one of the one of the things that you wrote to me was, my biggest discovery in life, I'm an evolutionary dancer, becoming something more in an ever emerging universe that can best be described as celebration. Wow. Well, what do you mean by that statement? That's a huge statement, and also, what what is that? What is the evolutionary dancer? What I, I see you dancing across the earth, you know, just telling everybody to discover the planet, to love the planet, and to start working towards changing with this climate change challenge that we have. So, talk about that. Okay.
0: Well, what we're talking about is dance, really. Dance as um, a metaphor. Um, and much more than a metaphor, in fact, a a very apt description for um, existence itself. But I grew up dancing and um, always thought of myself as a dancer. Um, And then later on, I came to think of it as a good way of describing the relationship between the human and the divine. And modern science teaches me dance is the very nature of the subatomic world our bodies are full of protons and neutrons and, and atoms all dancing to um, the rhythms in ever-continuous ever movement. Um, so, you know, nothing is not an, a dancer in the great cosmic sequence of moves and patterns of, that are out there. So, um, dance was also... Something that I recovered as part of the Christian story, I didn't know this, that um, the very early Christians would dance in a circle um, and tribute to the cosmic Christ, that presence of the divine dancing in and through all that is. You know? Oh,
2: that's so that's amazing. I- you know, I danced Afro Haitian dance and i remember i remember as we would go across the gym we had to go four times across the gym that was our that was our warm up and I remembered after the warm up I would feel like I was part of the cosmos. I mean Aww. it was like you know, you know how you feel that sense of freedom because yes. your your body's moving and when as you're talking, what I start thinking of is that not only is your body moving, but they're moving with the air and the stars and the moon and you know, everything around us because we're just here on this planet in the middle of God knows where. You know, it's <laughs> it's just amazing. So go that, ahead.
3: That sounds yeah. to me
5: like like a mystical well, experience,
2: <laughs>
0: dance is absolutely in many, as you know, many world traditions, uh, a way of um, of entering into a transcendent uh, state. Um, but here was a big switch for me, and back into where Elaine's experience, realizing that that the not only is evolution the story of the human or the story of life on Earth, it's the story of the Earth itself in uh, the story of the universe, that we are part of an evolutionary process that's been going on, you know, moving um, forward expansively since uh, almost 14 billion years ago. And so everything I came to understand was an evolutionary dance, but the discovery that I write about my biggest discovery that I'm an evolutionary dancer,
2: well, that's a, that's amazing. No, that, it's also it's also what I was thinking too about dancing. When when your heart starts beating and you know your energy, you know you're moving and you you know you start sweating. It's almost like you feel like you you are part of the earth. Well, you know, time goes by very quickly when we're in the studio. So I'd like to talk just a little bit more about the book. First of all, in in reading it, you know, the name of the book is Evolutionary Dancer. Do you have a website? And also, what do you hope Hope that people will gain from reading the book, and also this is a women's show, and here in the USA, women are being attacked and about how, and are about to lose control over their own bodies. What 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 is the message there, and what how do you feel that it should be approached? Yeah, first, I hope that
0: um, the book affirms some and inspires others to life work that co-creates society a society beyond planet abuse. You know, I just long that whatever I do can contribute to the emergence of a new kind of human, a kinder Christianity, and certainly to a future where this interrelated earth, where everything is essential, let's nurture that. But for the women, Elaine... Um, this power struggle over control of the body is what in um, uh, science might be called homeostasis, the resistance to the emergence of the news. And and it's one of the ways that happens even in the cosmos. Wherever there's conflict, chaos, and resistance, there is also at the very same time promise, creativity, that something's emerging. And so this is what This evolutionary worldview gives me hope in the face of what feels like backlash. And I hope it assures the women listening. There's no going back. It's actually scientifically impossible. Consciously, evolutionary will not stop and turn around. There may be resistance, but it is the edge of emergence The new uh, world that we see, the holistic um, way of being together is emerging.
2: Well, you know, I had an I had an experience. I was uh, giving a presentation at a, a rally, and all of a sudden, I start thinking about you know the whole universe that it's all it's just all one, and that we're just all evolving. Well, Carol, last words right now. Give us your website. Anything, any information? How they get a hold of you? Anything that any last words that you have, and any kind of information you'd like to give us. Okay. Um,
0: the website is carolkilby.com, uh, and uh, the Facebook, I'm on Facebook. And um, so just look up Carol Kilby, Evolutionary Dancer. Um,
2: we, um, uh, yeah. Well, another thing I'd like to just say one last thing before we say goodbye, and that is I hope to have you on again because I don't think that we covered half of what we could cover. Well, folks, that's it for our show. A special thank you to Carol Kilby, author of the book Evolutionary Dance. There, What an interesting and inspiring conversation this was. Special thank you to Ken for helping arrange this interview. A reminder, Women's Spaces will be on tonight at 11 o'clock. Please, please feel free to enjoy it. And and remember, our children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that. This is Elaine Behold. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time.
1: And a woman in your life, she's trying to come through. A woman's voice with messages, a woman's feelings. sure to give you courage uh, and who will surely make you stronger take you home now
0: Previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 23, 2022.